Hello and welcome to episode 5 of The Paper Crane, a podcast from Codes in the Clouds and a misspent youth productions. We are Codes in the Clouds, my name is Joe. And my name is Jack. My name is Kieran. I'm Steve. And this week's guest was our old friend Ryan West, aka Rival Consoles. Uh, this was the first episode that we actually recorded, uh, according to the files, all the way back in June, which seems impossible. That seems mad. But uh, and uh, so yeah, so there's, there was a few technical issues, but we enjoyed the chat with him so much. Uh, we didn't want to try and recreate it. We just wanted to put it out as is. So if you if you forgive some of the dodgy sound. Um, I, th- I think you'll enjoy it. Hopefully your ears get used to it. Annoyingly, for this episode, the guest sounds a lot better than the interviewers. <laughs> That's typical. Professionals. Professionals. He he had a lovely professional setup. Um, I mean, if we're talking was... about technical issues, I didn't even get to be on the interview with you lot because my internet in my house oh, yeah. had gone down a couple of hours before, oh, yeah. uh, which was pretty annoying. So, like, what was? how was it? How did the interview go? Well, as you can imagine... He's a lovely man, and we had a good bloody laugh, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. I assume you also it, drank a lot of beers together. There were some beers there had. Was, yeah, he complained at the very end. Because um, uh, I was trying to do a nice professional wrap-up to the episode, <laughs> and he was like, this has been too much like an interview. And then, uh, so we just, we stayed on for another hour or two having a drink. But under the, uh, as long as Jack would calm down, you can hear how rowdy Jack <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think this was the one that was like hardest. I mean, we should sort of just say that we've known him of all the guests so far, and probably long into the future, the the longest and the and the best. So it was yeah. kind of like hard to think. You know, is it an interview or is it? You don't want to go too much, just like mates chatting down yeah, the pub. Exactly. But um, it is difficult finding that balance, isn't it? Because the truth of it is, is that we hadn't seen him. We well, even since way before even the pandemic. But you know, we've. When uh, Array's Tapes first started, it was us, it was Ryan, and there was a few others. And Array's Tapes, the records, were still finding its feet. Both us and Ryan were finding our feet, and we were on the same bill a lot of the time, even though the music doesn't, especially at that time, didn't really work together um, that well. But we had a lot of fun <laughs> uh, in those days. No, it doesn't seem to have done him any harm. No, he's, no, that's he's come through that bad patch. <laughs> he's made a name for himself. <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah, that... Uh, yeah, now you can. I mean, he's the sort of person you can not have any contact with for a while, and then come back, and everything's completely smooth again to talk to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think that's probably down to his, uh, you know, his life choice of being, you know, um, an audio geek, as as he talks about actually at the start of this episode. Uh, you know, he he spends most of his time probably on his own listening to sounds so not speaking to friends of his for a long time <laughs> is very normal in his world yeah but i mean we should say like i mean definitely from from my point of view if if we didn't know him we would be bouncing off the walls he's one of my favorite artists yeah for sure um so it's it's kind of like a, a weird one in, in terms of tone but yeah, that is true. Uh, but yeah, and it's quite interesting actually in that when you think about when we first started out, I say our music didn't really fit together, but in terms of energy levels of of the music that we were creating, we were definitely in our 20s back then with our first record quite rocky and 
his music was very dancey was he's gone down this he's completely evolved into a whole new artist now uh, and yeah and as this is creating some of my favourite records Look. then eventually we followed down that route with, in, with this new album huh? yes of that course we've just, that we've just been recording we've just we've just finished uh uh, the production side of the record so we're out of the studio now so I I don't know when I'm next going to see Steve in the flesh but oh, it could be years um, you can all rest easy but um, I tell you what should we t- we can talk a little bit about uh, the recording process and stuff at the end of the podcast so listeners if you're interested stick around but Kieran I know we've said but we've known Ryan for a long time over like well over we're clo- probably closing in on 15 years of being friends with this guy but I just don't know any facts about him, mate. It's all rumour that I'm, I'm all I'm aware of are just plain rumours. Rival consoles facts. Oh yes. my god! Yeah. Can you long that pause out anymore? Like, okay, I'm ready. Ryan L. West, aka Aparatech, aka Rival Consoles, <laughs> is an electronic musician originally from Leicester and is now based in London. His first release under the moniker Aparatech was released on Erase Tapes Records in February 2007. Later on that year, his first release under the moniker Rival Consoles also came out on Erase Tapes Records. Since then, he has released a handful of EPs and full-length albums, his latest being Articulation in July 2020. Codes have played a number of shows and festivals together with Rival Consoles since 2007, and he's also a bloody lovely guy. Yeah, that is a fact, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) He is a a lovely guy, and we've yeah we've played loads. I think the last time we played with him, he actually mentions in this uh, in this episode when he first got a big uh, advert that then that he's maybe a little conflicted about because it was with a betting company, but then that afforded him his career. Uh, as in it afforded him literally the equipment that he bought and then used on the following records and allowed his sound to evolve Yeah, and it's that's quite an interesting chat but also that advert uh, that made him that much money came out probably just after um, we toured with him last <laughs> and so <laughs> that advert also afforded him the right to not play gigs with codes in the counts anymore <laughs> but do you remember on that tour that the song that was used on that advert Every time we, that came on on tour, we all basically ran into the middle of the venue because no oh, one came to see us anyway. So we could we we had the ability to run into the middle of a venue. Hey, come on, but, don't put yourself down. We played in front of numbers of people. Okay, we played in front of those numbers, there. literal def- numbers. Oh, yeah, sometimes Definite. it was double figures. It wasn't. No. Yeah, we didn't. We never. Only I think once or twice played in front of person. It was mostly people. <laughs> <laughs> so as well as talking about you know uh the morality of getting your music played on adverts and stuff especially in comparison with the old days we also talked to him about composing music he composed for the brilliant episode of black mirror striking vipers we talk at length about that uh we talk about just the creative process in general a lot of stuff about big data comes out uh he's an interesting very modern he's a very funny guy and if, if you don't know his music, I urge you to check it out. But I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you do know his music and you know how good he is. So expect and enjoy a very funny and interesting interview with our mate, Ryan West, a.k.a. Rival Consoles.
But yeah, Brian, how are you, man? Yeah, I'm alright, I think. Um, pretty much, I mean, I'm more fortunate than a lot of people, I guess, because I could work from home to some extent, so... Mm. You know, a lot of people have been absolutely destroyed by the circumstances, so I'm lucky in some respects. But sure. with that, I don't know, because I'm used to working on my own and being alone, and this added it, this multiplied that by a, a level that I wasn't sort of used to, because it was already quite yeah. extreme. Basically, normal people went reached the <laughs> level that I was already at. <laughs> And then I went, I'm not even joking. And all the other loser producers like me, like Anik and everyone, like we were already used to this. This was our world. And then now, then it went a step beyond that. So, <laughs> right. It was. Have you got to some dark pretty, places? Well, not. I mean, like obviously winter was. I guess it was brutal for everyone. But this this winter that mm. just went by mm. seemed just f- so difficult to fucking deal with. Even just going mm. out and being with people. Yeah drinking at like 2 a.m. like in the pitch black of a park or you know a forest or something there was just no there was no there was no sort of comfort in anything it <laughs> it just it's pre- it was pretty deranged uh <laughs> <laughs> stuff got weird but, I like it. I like I, Ryan. I love that Jack asked if you went to any dark places, and then you were kind of like, um, and then you said uh, it was pretty deranged, and it was it was tr- you had trouble finding well, comfort in anything. <laughs> I mean, I'm quite used to dark places, so I was just trying to see. You know, it's like if you have a sandwich every day, like, you, and then you talk about sandwiches, you. You'd have to think for a while just to even come up with something interesting because she's so used to it. Uh, so I don't, I don't know whether it took me to a more dark places than ever before. But what well, an just... opener for a conversation as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's very light. Jack does that on the street with people. <laughs> Hello. And actually, yeah, Hello. I do, do you, think do you we go should. To dark places? We, yeah, we should criticise Jack for that because it's, it's yeah. been a while since we've all seen each other. It's like, ah, oh, so many dark places in the last few. Months, mate. Yeah, how how bleak are things for you, mate? That's my general opening. <laughs> How's it? Uh, I'm I'm enjoying the hair growth, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, that's that. This is a uh, this is the measurement of the pandemic, really. In t- you, this, yeah, exactly. Pre pre COVID, you were you were a French crop loyalist. Yep. <laughs> Although since since '92, <laughs> born and bred. <laughs> That is a fact. How often are you washing that, mate? Are you wash? Is that once a week or is that a daily daily wash? That looks like a once a week. I'm not gonna lie. Every, every other day. Yeah. Now that's the, that's the healthier approach, right? Yeah. Proud of that. But since I, I've been growing longer, and I, I have to do it every day now. Day two, it's unsalvageable situation. And that's exactly mm. why you don't get any compliments from me on your hair, Steve. Whereas Ryan, he knows it's two shampoos, one condition every other day. <laughs> <laughs> Repeat. Yeah. <laughs> said that you were able to work from home. Did you find it easier, or were you, or or did you, were you able to get into a more creative space, or were you like everyone in the lockdown just made you procrastinate and stare at the walls a lot more? Um, just recently, I've become more of a procrast- procrastinator. But during the actual heat of the pandemic, well, when it started, I was kind of going the other way too much, working too much. Mm. Um, which obviously sounds good and sounds like, you know, 
you would want that, but the, mm. you can do it too much, and it can be they can make the work not as the actual material not as good. But sure. yeah, I was going mental really with work, like sixteen hour days. Wow. For but I mean, for months, <laughs> maybe maybe for a year. Wow. Was it because uh, there was no defined end to your day? Really, like no socialising obviously means that there's and no gig, you know, means that. Yeah, I mean, I I usually socialise late in the night anyway. Anyway, so and work a lot in the day, but it was yeah, it just became a little bit more relentless. I don't know if it became more relentless because of the pandemic though, because it could have just been various things happening. Mm. Some, when, uh, when we've worked together in the past, I've I have noticed about you've got quite a sort of conscious idea of like work patterns, the best way for you to work, what you need to have done in terms of like in, in terms of everything, the whole day, the way the day goes and how that affects um, your output. And, and I reckon like during the pandemic, ev everyone's become more aware of that because everyone's routines have been upheaved, right? So I would have thought you would have been far more resilient to that kind of upheaval. I mean, my main thing is just working nonstop and not actually, and that's the main thing, just constantly smashing out stuff. And then from that, anything interesting arises, develop that. But it's more just like, constant hard work it's not there's no depth to like there's no philosophy really it's just working hard um, and then i suppose it's about then just picking out uh like what the best endeavor is there like because yeah you can just go at it and work and work and work and end up just repeating the same cycles and just producing the same output every time mm. yeah well you can spend thousands and thousands of hours in a year on things that will eventually be discarded so there has to be tens of thousands of hours just of just constant work because the stuff that doesn't make it is a lot of time you know because it's easy to be distracted and to get lost in things that appear to be good or appear to be your interest at the time but yeah and also if you if you're not wary then you're holding on to something just because of the effort you've put into it mm. yeah but that, even hour. that happens anyway though but it's just there's so many things being developed at once in a way and from different timelines that can there's almost mm. like 50 timelines dating back like let's say five years there's lots of overlap um and it's a bit messy obviously because there's so much stuff going on but the the better stuff tends to stay in your mind enough so that you can go back to that and then the weaker stuff gets lost ideally yeah so it's important to take little breaks little pauses when you're working on a track, for example, go out, play a spot of cricket, yeah. come back, there won't be any repercussions from that, and then you can move on with your music career unfettered. <laughs> do you want to yeah. fill pe people in I'll on let that someone story, else do Steve? It. I, I... <laughs> well, okay, so we were, what? We were about to play, we were a few, it was a few days before we played a festival, I think, and we were with Ryan. Were we recording with you at that point, Ryan? <clears throat> yeah, there must have been some... That was that was studio work going on. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think so, it was in post already. And and Steve, Steve was full of testosterone that day. <laughs> the embarrassing yeah, thing was before that before that day, I was I was talking Ryan through my secret to the perfect cover drive. Oh, you stink! <laughs> <laughs> and, and I and I said, I did say it as we walked into the ground like you know i really i haven't actually picked up a proper cricket ball since school and i'm older than i 
think I am even now. <laughs> <laughs> but you you do know a lot more about cricket than I do. I mean, about the theory of it and also the playing of it. But and the weird thing, by the way, is that that ball actually wasn't that fast. It was. It's it's fun. It <laughs> yeah. Really it, it, it kink it kinked it like it, i mean it was not with any skill of mine but like it did kink offline and that obviously yeah. well the audience doesn't know maybe someone can describe yeah well there was it was clearly a lot of uh, you know like cloud cover that day so it's good for bowlers yeah uh, we, I, I forget I, I forget if we if we actually finished the story of what happened no but basically just before we played a festival steve broke his fingers cuz he doesn't know how to play cricket oh my god <laughs> It was a it was a nipper of a ball. It, Ryan's pitches. I was gonna. In. I was. I was gonna add actually, but he was even wearing protective gloves, and that's, still. That's what's insane about it. It's yeah. not just the. It wasn't like we were just taking the piss and not uh, caring about stuff because cricket is obviously dangerous, but for some reason it caught him in a place where the glove denied any kind of protection. Yeah. And in a way, I, I think. That glove knows a lot more about what Steve's done in his past. (laughs) That glove has stared into Steve's soul and it knew what he deserved. What I like like about that is Steve didn't like try to just no, say no what what do you mean like it was there was just immediate acceptance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to adjust my personality for this thing. I can't be letting these things out, can I? Really? I suppose a normal person would deny it. They wouldn't laugh along with that joke. They would say, "No, no, 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 no." I just thought, "Oh yeah, let that go out." That's yeah. That. This, that's the interesting because I mean, obviously, hopefully, this podcast is going to mean we're going to be talking to people we haven't spoken to in a long time. But then, naturally, they're going to bring up things that Steve has done, and they are things that keep Steve awake at night. Um, mm, so, yeah. <laughs> Ryan, what have you been up to uh, lately? Has it been uh, stuff specific rival console stuff, or have you been working on uh, compositions for other people? What's been uh, the majority yeah. of your work? Well, so I released an album kind of at the start of the pandemic, well, just a few months into the mm. pandemic when it really took hold, uh, called Articulation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then during, ba- well, basically before the pandemic, I wrote a 70-minute piece of music, well, not a piece of music, a 70-minute score for a contemporary dance called Overflow, and mm. the single of which has just came out, which is which oh, was brilliant. for that. Um, so basically, I just, I've done quite a few large-scale works before and during the pandemic um how is it how is it um composing for for contemporary dance are you working a lot with the choreographer yeah we worked constantly in the studio and just backwards and forwards In, in, in many ways i kind of led the the overall thing because there's so little time to rehearse stuff so i'm just smashing out music and then he's reacting to that and then deciding which stuff's good or you know very simple way of working but it works right sure so it's so it's it's a case of the music comes before the choreography or is it a com- combination of the two yeah, it's a combination but it's definitely more weighted on the music just to kind of give you know some substance to work around or two mm. um but that was great and that yeah that's going to be out later this year i believe um brilliant 
but it's yeah, it's quite a colossal. The next the next single is eleven, eleven minutes, I think. Um, eleven. You're becoming wow. a post rock band. It wow. Well, That's prog. It's not. It's quite. It's the opposite, really. It's but it's eleven minutes. It's kind of. Uh, it's just one note almost for eleven minutes, but not in an ambient way. You'll see. Anyway, it's interesting. <laughs> what, what, like, Anyone can what, do like that, a mate. bee in your bedroom. <laughs> I think it's one of the best things I've ever done. But we'll we'll see what people think. But so to so to uh, be clear, so the the new one that's just come out, it will be released as a rival consoles piece, or will it be? Will, will it be a uh, canon as an as an album? Yes, there's a, there's an album, but the what so what the one that just came out, the single pulses of information. That is just one of thirteen tracks from this uh, album for the contemporary dance. Right, it's made okay. it into an album, but it would flow more like a you know a continuous piece of music almost in the show. So then, how does that um, kind of morph in your feeling towards it that it's that it's a collaborative piece? rather than, you know, the rest of it is, it's just you, 100% control, you're not having to be influenced by, you're not working with something specific. Yeah, it's good, because it's always good to be uncomfortable. Obviously, if you're just doing what you want all the time, things get, things, I think, unless you're a genius like Beethoven or whatever, um, you tend to, you tend to just not do anything interesting. It's very difficult, I think, to just be in your own world and keep making interesting stuff um so it's good you know just to mix things up and just collaborate with people and see even things that you don't think are good which then could turn out to be good because you missed something else within it and you know obviously there's so many layers in music um not i don't even mean literal layers but just layers of kind of perception and layers of deception um so it's yeah it was great i mean in a way though he actually did give me a lot of free reign so it wasn't so much like I had to adhere to someone's uh, stylistic input, like I would on a film or something, where you almost get no stylistic input. Um, so this is definitely my style, but a lot of kind of compositions that I would never compose. But it's allowed, so it's allowed you to stick with certain themes and ideas that otherwise perhaps you'd have discarded. Well, more the kind of my approach to the palette of sounds like the the tonal aspect of is very me but the kind of compositional structure and arrangement and the nuances of change within a song are kind of dictated from the dance in a way that I wouldn't probably do um as a as a composer in my own right what was the kind of like the initial like concept you guys had um so it's actually a pretty deep subject matter um it is basically about how big data has affected everyone's lives and distorted everyone's lives. And there were two... Right. Well, there was one main philosophical book that we drew upon in the research. There was a lot of research in this. Like, I mean, big, um, proper technical and language research going on. But uh, one of the main research books was called Psychopolitics, which is a contemporary philosophical book about the sort of the dark side of neoliberalism and things like that and how in the past like industry would make people work extremely hard and like it would um, abuse people just literally working very hard whereas today it's the emotion like it's the human psyche that's being sort of mined um, 
in, in order to gain sort of like money or whatever. But it's right. the the contemporary dance is basically about the kind of extreme, yeah, just effect that big data and all the big data related things have had on human existence. Well, it is like a, a right, phase yeah. in 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 civilization, isn't it? You know, like of all the, I remember sort of you know ten years ago, someone hearing on the radio like, oh, they've officially decided to call this age, you know, like the Iron Age, the Bronze Age, and this was the technological age. But I would argue it's sort of beyond that. Is it is the data age because it's yeah it, that just like profoundly affects the experience of the world now doesn't it like yeah I think, whether, I think whether you like good, it or not yeah i think d the data age makes perfect sense to describe now because it's just even if you're one of the few people that, who don't at all get involved in its effect it's they're just so on the fringes of things it's just it's just absolutely everything is kind of indoctrinated by and i don't just mean for bad obviously there's good as well but i mean it's just it's very powerful just network um, not even a network. It's it's as rich as like an ecosystem, like in nature, in a way. It's just, but it's just very, um, mm. yeah, intimidating if you start to look at the certain aspects of it. Yeah, well, it's it's like it's it's kind of difficult to talk about sometimes because people then assume that you're implying some sort of conscious, like conspiracy, whereas it's more like there's <laughs> these flows of data that were just a byproduct of increased technology. Yeah. And then it's just there now we're just really at the beginning of properly starting to mine those flows of data. And I mean, and who could possibly predict where it's going to go next? And Well, I think now people are aware that obviously any smart people out there that work in business obviously immediately understand how useful it is. It's, it's, well, it's well known by I think even the general public now. So now I think it's starting to look like the balance some sense of balance can be restored. I don't mean on a conspiracy level. I just mean it's obvious that data equals money, like if you're yeah. smart. Um, yeah. On just a general level, like I'm not, I mean, there probably are some really weird conspiracy theories about it, but just, just on a general level, like, you know, even Spotify, which affects obviously all of us in a small, well, a small way, big way, depending on how involved you are in it. But that is just an example of, you know, that's a small example of how data makes huge amounts of money for them. But actually, when you think about it, it is just a kind of, it's just a super clever business plan, which yeah. doesn't really, mm. you, if you were to, to tell somebody about that 20 years ago, they wouldn't, would never even comprehend it. I always think when you're trying to write to a theme like that, like how conscious do you have those, those themes in your head as you're doing it? You know, like, cause it's hard to, to, represent like represent a specific theme like that through music without lyrics as well like <clears throat> lyrics is like the sort of very direct and obvious way to do it yeah well there How is do you work there is language in yeah. it i've recorded quite a lot of language from i have to be careful here what i say actually uh oh okay because yeah. i don't want to kind of but basically there's a lot of um tech talks and sort of high-level CEO talks about technology and the effect of technology that I recorded and then used in the music. And amongst other things, such as... I, I was using data within the music, so I would we would take the dancers um, recording themselves saying a monologue, 
and then we would t- I would turn that monologue into data that would then trigger music. So oh, and that wouldn't be known. Wow. The, I mean, no, no, that's just like a very ordinary thing. But the point about which is interesting about it is, it's not it's not noticeable. In like it's not like oh what's going on is there something triggering it's just not noticeable but I like that because obviously the the data it, that is affecting everyone's lives is quite invisible but it's just stuff going on all the time so there's lots of layers within the score that are hidden but they're doing things that are related to kind of this overall idea mm. and then you as a creator so you've made that decision and that that to me is like a cool little almost like an easter egg kind of level to it and yeah, obviously it puts you in a like creative a hidden... space. Yeah, where you're thinking like there's this parallel with the broader issue that it's that it's about. But then does that then have an influence on the like melodic and you know rhythmic decisions you make as well? Yeah, well that's I set it up so that it would I wouldn't decide it would decide those things. But it's it's dead simple because I'm the in my opinion, I don't like for concepts to become too um, sort of in love with themselves in a project like this. So it's just a very subtle little hint, basically. It's something that, that data's mapped to something within the performance. Very just dead, dead simple because I, otherwise it gets sickly if you start to become very sort of into the details of it, I think. Mm. Well, you also, you also composed, I mean, you composed a lot, but you also composed for uh, Black Mirror. And I remember hearing the uh the episode was coming out with you composing the music and i thought it was a match made in heaven which i probably wouldn't have thought 10 years ago with the music you were making then but we'll come back to that <laughs> later how was it working uh on black mirror um i mean obviously yeah that was an incredible opportunity um so i was super grateful and lucky to have gotten that um i did find it very stressful um not because it was writing for black mirror which obviously like a prestigious thing it was Mm. more that the episode itself was extremely complicated extremely complicated Mm. because for example and i don't want to sound arrogant here but if it was like a dark episode where the nature of the episode is dark you know the language the themes are dark anyone can write music for a dark episode i really believe that sure anyone can write i don't mean anyone can do a great dark score but i just mean there's it's a very well understood sort of music vocabulary that you can tap mm-hmm. into. Whereas this episode was so all over the place. It was very kitsch. It had levels of just very levels that were very difficult to draw upon as the composer without being sickly. And because yeah, sure. I'm not very experienced as a, you know, compared to someone like Clint Mansell or someone, I just found it just was, it was really fucking hard. Like I had like, I think I had two, maybe three panic attacks <laughs> during wow. that. Yeah, it was because, <laughs> oh, because mainly because what you've got to consider is you know that at least five to 10 million of people are going to see it in the first few weeks and there's sure. hundreds of people involved. So, of course, and it's not, by the way, that I don't think I can do something functional or good. It's more that you worry that you've been given this role and there's lots of great people out there, great mm. people out there that aren't even known that could do a great job. So you just, it's, you become very doubtful about uh, the, the quality that is required for something like that. Um, but it yeah. was a very good learning curve. I feel like now I could do something like that again a lot in a much better frame of mind because of the nature of that experience. Sure. This was, this was very the difficult. episode Striking Vipers uh, for yeah, those that's... unfamiliar, which is, yeah. yeah, it's it's an all over the place 
Uh, I don't want to spoil anything in case anyone hasn't seen it, but uh, it's a specific kind of video game that's a virtual reality. And yeah, and go watch it. It stars Anthony Mackie. It's a great episode, and the music's great too. It's just totally. I was going to say, like, like, you're spot on with. Well, obviously, you made it, so you are going to be spot on with. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you like, described the, your own the, music very well. The, 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 yeah, the, the tone of it being ambiguous like that, it it's. <sighs> It's just I, I couldn't imagine getting in the zone to try and write for it because you're trying to sort of match it without influencing it and driving yeah. it in the wrong way. Mm. Yeah, it's very easy to just... You, I, I, there was one cue which I must have written like 50 to 100 pieces for and just... And this is like a short piece of... Uh, short cue, but it's just very... Um, it's the opposite of, I guess, what you would want to happen when you write and you tend to want things to come about quite quickly. But yeah. the, I am actually really proud of a few pieces that I made for it, you know. So, and well, that then some didn't people get used. No, or... no, that that, that were that you were using the show. And it, interestingly, people are very obsessed by this one one piece of music in particular that I actually uploaded on SoundCloud because I was getting messaged almost every day by wow. fanatical people. Yeah, I mean, for years I was getting messaged, then I eventually just uploaded it on SoundCloud. Um, um, so. And I do like that myself, this one piece. It's very short. It's just like a two-minute piece. Um, but And funny enough, actually, this is actually a piece of music for a sex scene. Now, that, oh, wow. I think, is interesting because writing music for a sex scene, it's like, okay, what are you going to do? Do you, Are you going to... how? What are you going to think about? So... And the music itself is a little bit... Reverb, saxophone. It's just... <laughs> yeah, war pedal. It's just war pedal. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Sorry, Steve got it, no, Steve got it right. Steve got and it that right. Is, and that, that is the only. There, there was a single it. answer. There was a single answer that was correct, and Steve got it right. No, I don't know why we're talking about all this stuff, and everyone's like, "Oh, who should we get to do this music?" Just come to me. I'll give you the answer. But not necessarily the music, but the answer. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm not yeah. interested in, in producing the music. I can't play the saxophone. Good. It's kind of like. Um, I remember actually Joe, Joe and I went together to see um, Ennio Morricone being uh, performed live, and the, well, actually the whole first the whole first half of it was was just an introductory kind of like DVD extra style. Yes, it was video. a bad. It was a bad film. <laughs> but oh um, on in one of the quotes I remember from it was him saying, "If the relationship with the director or the producers of the film." doesn't go how he likes it he yeah. sacks them wow you know? and obviously it's like he's you know trying to sort of he's showing off a bit of arrogance and like saying yeah. oh, i'm the best and that's why i do this but but actually i mean that's that just means you're not good at producing music for the the film for the for the thing right well it means he's not malleable yeah as exactly. a composer um but then again if you're gonna get him to write music I mean he's dead now obviously but if yeah. you were to in the past get him to write music for a film you you must already have agreed that it's going to be definitely his style because his style is so um idiosyncratic but, mm. but he's a strange mm. example of a, of a composer in a way because because he's so specifically him and good at that in a way that is I think actually bad in most cases in film like you wouldn't want f- music to scream out, out of the picture and say listen to me you normally yeah. want music to be very set back. His is the opposite, but it's so fucking good. It's so mm. good. 
in mm. a way that it's just you can never do it. Yeah. If someone said now write a banging score to a film that's really overloaded and in your face, it would just be awful. Even if even if you were really talented, it's just some cra- something crazy about his scores to films. Yeah, that I don't think we'll ever see yeah. again. Well, he's the exception that proves the rule, right? But then, but then he became a monster, I guess, like because he was just <laughs> just drinking just drinking Negronis and just. <laughs> <laughs> Ima- then- can you imagine? Can you imagine though? Just like just walking into a room like with all the people, all the musicians waiting. He's just drinking a Negroni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, like, I like the idea of being just so relaxed in other people. It's like the every conversation someone like that has, it's the biggest moment of their life. Yeah, and he's just like, this is nothing to me. Yeah, to, to everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then malleability and like working with. What you know, so specifically for a film score, it, it's it's overt that you need to be malleable, you need to work with what you're doing. But then, and that's like sort of an admirable quality in a musician, or an, a necessary quality. But then, it's kind of seems to be reversed and flipped for a musician just releasing their own their own material as them, like. It's almost like you lose respect if you're saying, "Well, I'm being malleable to like society. I'm just going to go and do what I think is most popular, what people want to hear." But um, it's just as much of a skill as someone who's a great film composer. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I do obviously agree that people take that point. But I, no, I don't mind people that are like um, adhering to what people think. I mean, you know, house music, for example, or techno. A lot of the time is purely not purely, but it's trying to be very functional. It's trying mm-hmm. to be artistic within its own yeah. merit, but it's it's definitely trying to be functional. And it's, and if it's good, it's good. I just think it's as simple as that. If it's, you know, I mean, you, I guess you could talk mm. about Ed Sheeran as well. He's obviously good at that. But it, there's a fine line between it being functional and being just anemic. So yeah. I mm. don't, I, it's hard to know. And also, I think you've got to be really into each given thing to know. So for example, if you're really into pop, I mean, contemporary pop, then you would probably have a really good idea about whether, it, for example, Ed Sheeran's actually really good or if he's a bit too anemic and it just appears to be good because of the success. Mm. But because I'm not so well versed in mm. pop right now, I don't I don't know. So obvi- obviously, as an example, obviously, we all love your stuff and I'm not saying your stuff is anemic, but how much of how much of like functionality do you bring into when you're writing something would do you, i mean for example would you cast something aside if you felt like it hasn't come from a certain higher source or whatever if you felt like i'm just doing this because it's what suits it um i think i'm always uh, what's the word doubtful about my own choices to an extent where i um i other people what i think other people will think creeps into my head like by a percentage i'm not sure what the percentage is but let's say 30 percent but i don't know if that's common amongst everyone that makes music apart from people like prince and morricone but you know just (laughs) i am not i'm not the kind of confident person that's like listen to my idea it's exclusively my idea it's it's made up of lots of things just in the process of making it and so there's definitely an element of adhering to what I think people will like. Like, for example, I wouldn't release music if I didn't think people would be, uh, be into it. 
let's say if I, let's if I thought I yourself couldn't you if you were if a true like auteur that really doesn't care what anyone thinks about it could just not release yeah. it yeah 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 I, I I do put it out to the world because I think oh people will be interested in this and this is a value to other people and it is a conversation it's like you know I not I haven't got that kind of like listen to my monologue mm. that you know some artists I guess <laughs> in the past have had that you know that kind of confidence that, like well Prince in a way yeah. like, mm. I mean because he was just so good that I, you can tell that he was just like this just listen to what I'm doing don't don't even <laughs> how much does that inform your your process though thinking about other people um, well, like I say, I think it's just a constant, unconscious, you know, uh, background thing, mm. which it must be for most people as well. Um, yeah, not just and, even in music, just like in terms of how you are as a person, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, even on that level, yeah. Some people um, just don't care what anyone else thinks at all. <clears throat> yeah, because, yeah, acceptance and just basic, you know, things like belonging, and that obviously affects art. And I've never, I mean, I've I've always been quite conservative, I think, with my choices about music. I've tr- I try to find things, tension points and things that I think aren't super well trodden. But I always, you know, if you listen to properly experimental music, my music sounds like um, Ed Sheeran. To, <laughs> yeah. to bring him up again. Because I've, I've, not, I've not said his name enough, by the way. But you've... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but, well we were going to get him on next sorry I'm shouting <laughs> um, but you've gone like stylistically you've gone on a you can see the evolution of you as an mm. artist right like you like, can see things yeah there's a sound now there's a rival console sound that people mm. know and recognise yeah. yeah. do you feel pressure with the next thing that it's got to be well either like uh, that adhering to that sound that people people know and love or at least like that and plus an extra step? I mean, I think a lot of the things that I've done in the last six years, I've kind of, I've kind of used them almost to the limit. So I'm, I'm trying to explore new things. Um, just keep, I mean, I'm always exploring new things anyway, of course, but the, the things that I've repeated, which actually haven't been that much, but they're quite potent when, they're, when they've reoccurred. Yeah, so like that focal they're, they're, and, yeah. Just, like let's say probably one sound I might have used seven times across five records, um, which might only be a very small percentage of time, but it's just very potent as a kind of indicator of of doing the same thing again. And it's very simple stuff, though. I mean, like I just think people. It's weird. People always message me thinking there's something really clever going on, but it's just the most basic stuff. And it's more. I think it's more the note choices that I'm using than the actual like synth sounds. Some some of the synth sounds are very sophisticated, like untravel, uh, but generally the sounds are just u- ultra basic, you know. When you talk about like kind of new things that you're looking for, new styles, is it like a case of you feel like you need to give yourself new new equipment, new ways of facilitating your the thing you want to get out, or is it more like you change your method of how you write? Like when you want to try something new, uh, how do you both. approach that? Yeah, both. But okay. the, it's just like it. <sighs> It's just constant experimentation. So let's say over a year, you might spend an hour every day just trying to make a sound that is interesting. And you don't necessarily know what the use is for the sound, but let's say you make 100 sounds in a month and five of them are very interesting. You store them in your mind 
as potentials in the future that could be reintroduced in some way. And obviously the better composers are the composers who've got a very good judgment about how to use any given sound. Mm. So I might make a bunch yeah. of sounds that are very good but not actually know how to even use them or use them wrongly or blah, mm. blah, blah. So, yeah. and also there's trying too hard, like, you know, trying to do something, make something too interesting. There's so many layers to everything, but it's just just doing and then like thinking about it you know on a on a general level like re, you know research and development is the best way to just describe it yeah that's that's another example of like technology influencing things isn't it like like us as a band we've sort of with the with the upcoming album it's like we've discovered all this we've suddenly got access to a lot more sounds than we had on the last release and the initial impulse is to just go yeah. crazy overboard and just chucking in everything oh that's mm. so good that's so good but like the, the the real skill is in learning to peel it away and whittle it down to what what mm. is in essence what you want to say yeah it's, you, which is very difficult though your uh, yeah. your your sound has obviously changed so much in the last you know over a decade as as i mentioned well since we first met you were you know it almost yeah. was pop music it was like pop fun dance music what's your relationship with your old stuff like even going back to you know a paratech yeah well i mean the, the kid velo stuff was pretty pop to it to an extent mm. in terms of well it, it, it was a bit too what's the word vulgar though to be pop like but the ideas were quite pop pop mm. influenced i mean i do like pop by the way um, yeah and i've always retained <clears throat> a kind of i'm interested in catchiness so and that's why i think my music mm. So against like I, like I said earlier against experimental music it does sound a bit redundant because if you want it to be more experimental or more edgy because a lot of the themes in my music I, tr I, I want them to be catchy in the same way that a pop song is catchy mm -hmm. um, so yeah what's my relationship uh, I mean a lot of it I'm ashamed of in a way because in the, in the way that everyone is as they get older because obviously you look back at things that you did and Obviously, you're like, oh, God, that's embarrassing. But it's mm -hmm. more it's more the execution than the ideas. I think even early ideas that I had, I, I think, oh, yeah, there's something in that. I could understand why that I would have wanted to do that. But it's just the, the lack of knowledge and the lack of taste and the lack of understanding of style and taste that mm -hmm. led to having a very poor execution or a less desirable execution of, you know, any given idea. And... Conversely, like as time's gone on, because you get older and you become more sensitive to style and taste, you you can refine things. But obviously, the problem then is because you start to become a little bit boring potentially. So you have to be very careful not to, you know, throw out one thing and gain another. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, just you become you become you can become so obsessive about, especially in electronic music, because electronic music sounds awful anyway, absolutely awful. By the way, I hope <laughs> anyone listening is trying, who's thinking about making a career in no, it just sounds awful though. Because <clears throat> I mean, if you were to ask me now, name five absolutely beautiful sounding electronic artists, I struggle, and I've devoted my life to it because it's just hard, you know. Whereas you could easily name five incredible sounding bands or you know, whatever, but it, it is difficult. Um, in, in, unless you're doing something highly functional, like Steve mentioned earlier, like house and music. No, no, I mentioned that, but I mean like something that adheres to the mm. crowd more. But for when it's an artist exploring their own world, it's just very difficult. Um, so 
But I mean, I mean, I'm happy that I've refined things and got a lot better since, you know, let's say 2007. But then mm-hmm. again, I was very young then, so I mean, like. And also, there's a place for that old stuff. It's it's like. No, there isn't. We, I oh. <laughs> there's if, no place for there, it. There absolutely there is in my there, heart. There, uh, there's yes. not even a place for it in my website. <laughs> well, that's true. Like, obviously, imagine imagine playing. Think a about that now. Rival consoles now, and then right at the end, dropping in a Kid Velo banger. Yeah. You know. The thing is, people would be stunned. They would. Yeah. Well, I remember. Don't do time, that, I, I remember. But, no, right. I won't. I remember. It, well, it would. It would be ten times as loud. Ironically, um, <laughs> I remember once I was at a club with Anik, uh, who is a mix engineer, mastering mm. engineer, um, Anik Thapar, and Kid Velo actually came on at the Village Underground. Someone was DJing, and it came wow. on. And I remember, and I was like, "Wow!" Um, and Anik said to what did I do? He said something really mental that like really undermined it. In front of a group of people that I didn't know. And I was like, I, I didn't sort of even respond to it. I was just like, oh, like, in my head. Like, <laughs> right, well, <laughs> I'm sure he's going to be be on this thing and at some point in the future. Sure will, yeah. No, but it was funny. It was funny. It was just, I didn't expect it. And I was just like, yeah, maybe. That's such a know. that's such a nice moment that he's ruined though. That's so funny. And I'm I very think, fond I think, of Kid Vela. I think that's the only time. There maybe two other, maybe another time that I've actually heard my a track of mine in a club like, and it just been a, just come on like it's quite a rare yeah. thing to witness unless you're making club music. But yeah, but it's course. a beautiful little moment because it, but it was never like totally basic functional club music. It was always an element. No. I mean obviously it's you making it right so is, there's a part of you in it as you've grown and developed with the music right but i mean i i if you're asking me what what i felt what i feel is the better music it's what you're producing now it's just like yes it has this real character to it but i mean i would love to be back back then listening to it i think but a lot of <laughs> like, it does come down to i would love to be in my early 20s again oh, i'd love but to I be d- in my early I'd... 20s forever and never die <laughs> 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 yeah because um. what what was what was quite well from, from for those that don't know you obviously it must have seemed like um because you know obviously one one of one of your tracks uh became part of the public consciousness because it was on an advert that was seemingly being played you know a hundred times a day and then yeah. the next the next your next release it's like you've you've had a song that's you know basically mainstream you're like well i'm rejecting that style completely now uh, was that was that always the intention because it because i think you know you always wanted to make the music you're making now but i guess did that just afford you uh time well, to create i guess yeah i mean yeah I, I i didn't really i don't have like this deep like stalin five-year plan it's just interestingly and this is going to anger steve um <laughs> you could argue you could argue that and I'm just being honest because obviously it's helpful for people listening that like don't know about the music industry maybe. Um, but the money that I gained from that advert, I then bought equipment that then informed the next. Mm. Wait, how many? Like seven, eight records. Wow. So you could. It's hard. It's very strange because it was such a sickly, disgraceful, immoral advert. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah, I'm not. I'm not even joking. By the way, I'm not even joking. I'm being dead serious. And yeah. Sure. I had to take the money as well because I owed, I owed my ex-girlfriend like six grand. Right. So I gave that to her straight away. I was like, take that. That's that sorted. 
<laughs> I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. And then we're done. Uh, um, yeah. So then it's just weird. I do think about this now and again. Like mm. a lot of music that I've made that I've loved or that I've liked a lot more and been proud of has been born out of this disgraceful circumstance to some extent. <laughs> do you actually do you actually have any guilt about it? Just for just for listeners it was for a be- it was for a betting company but I honestly had guilt for years. Yeah, for real, really? like That's quite frequently, but I would talk to friends about it and that, and I would explain the situation and they would you know having understood that I had no money, like, because mm. it, it's when I was first moved to London, so I wasn't working for a whole year, and I was just basically living off my then-girlfriend's full-time job, and it was just obviously a very, mm. you know, if, thing, if things go on long enough, they can become very bleak, so obviously I, I imagine anyone in that circumstance would just take the yeah. money in the advert. Mm. I, I, I definitely wouldn't now, though, yeah. but and sure. again, not to say that I pass judgment on someone that would now, but I just think... Yeah, it's just one of those things where it's just funny though that that not even on that level that because that makes sense, but just on the level that it actually gave me the opportunity to buy something that I then fell in love with as a device, which mm. I might never mm. have um, gotten to do, or maybe gotten too late, or you know who knows. But it's just interesting mm. that um, that's one nil to capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think the average person or the average music fan. Yeah. feels the same way about taking money for an advert or whatever no. at all as they would have done before but like I reckon probably I imagine what you were asking Joe originally was just like creatively musically did you feel any pressure after that to recreate that same kind of vibe no. just because it's had a success that, that then mean, broke it, out of a it didn't really have any success so that's what you got to understand it didn't really have any success um, so it, actually, if it did have success, there would be a very different story. That's the problem. That's the good thing. Mm. I'm happy that it didn't have any like real success in a way yeah. because not to say that the music was absolutely awful, but I do think it was a creative um, dead end. Yeah, um, Robert didn't because... have to reprint your album with a sticker saying "As Heard On." <laughs> yeah, advert. yeah, yeah. That was the main reason. The sticker. Uh... <laughs> No, it's just, I'm always, I'm very analytical and wary of um, composition and electronic music that's like derived from style. And even when, yeah, I just, well, okay, let's think back. So 2011 is when that album came out. And then there was about Mm. a two year period before I made the next EP, which was just like four tracks. Mm. So there's a lot of thinking went on in those two years and a lot of just terrible, you know, nonsense that I would have made that I would have been discarding and not happy with until I um, arrived at a, a point. Well, Odyssey, for example, um, actually, Odyssey was actually originally written for a, an advert. Really? Interest. That was written yeah. for a Gatorade-related advert. Imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> Gatorade-related. G- Gatorade-adjacent. <laughs> no, but it was, it, was a, it was, I think it was a Gatorade subsidiary. Yeah, I'm not saying... Oh, right. Stuff. Yeah, I was, didn't it know was there a, was a subsidiary. Yeah, there's like they own lots of companies. Or, or no, no, sorry, sorry. No, Coca-Cola own Gatorade. Coca-Cola, don't they? yeah. Okay, so wait, maybe sorry, it was something like Gatorade, but it was owned by Coca-Cola. Right, okay, sure, sure, sure. Um, I can't remember the brand, but um, yeah, so it's just like an energy drink related to that kind of world. But it's just interesting wow. that yeah, that piece of music where actually I'm still I still like to this day, again was born out of hostile circumstance now well, yeah but, that, but that's a that's a massive spike into the current round isn't it that release huh? 
that how, releases a massive stride into the current sound that you have i would say yeah like, yeah it is a massive yeah but that's yeah it's just um again but it's related to the technology that I was using more so than anything else right. well you know and obviously discipline and i don't know it's so hard what, to know what because drive is what of, of that change how much of it would you say is is generated by the tech and the instrumentation you've got access to and how much of it is like a conscious decision of yours i think it's a lot about the technology so for example odyssey zona howl night melody persona that's five records mm. that's like 98 percent is made with one synth of the synth sound so it's very wow. um specific to a synth and it's not that i wasn't forcing it to be that way uh, it just turned out that i kept doing things that i liked and found worked within composition with that particular synth um so that's what i'm saying that's why it's so significant what happened with that advert because that that gave that mm. gave way to that which then created such an abundance of work yeah it wasn't like it just i just bought some and used it three times yeah uh, the other the other i bought two synths with the money to begin with i bought the profit eight and the moog voyager the moog voyager i used like two times and then this the profit eight i used hundred well not well yeah hundreds of times but i don't know how many times in actual songs let's say 60 tracks released since wow but um, not to say that that means it's one or anything, but it's just interesting that I connected to something. But it's definitely very technology dependent, obviously. But even it, then, like you still need to know, like obviously, like, we've since been experimenting with a with a profit, and it's you st you very much need to know what you're aiming for, and like yeah, uh, what what sound you're trying to create, and if you don't have a picture of that before you start turning dials it's not like it guides you in the same way a guitar and an effects pedal kind of guides you and mm. you don't have to know anything about what the pedal can do to to come up with a sound from it you know what i mean because this yeah it's i don't know what um i mean it's just i'm very obsessed with composition so i'm always trying to find things that function in a composition so i guess it's just you know i just happen to connect with the certain qualities with the synth and my what i wanted to do with composition at the time and not even at the time but for the next you know up until now i'm still using it um so yeah but again it's just very simple things like in a way you could do them all within a computer it doesn't have to have to be this it's just it just turns out that it was this way um but it kind of opens a door for you creatively to be able to do that at least yeah i mean it's yeah. There's just loads of simple thing. I mean, because when I make music, it's not like, oh, everything's great. It's usually, ex it's tiny percentage of the working time is good, like, and excited and inspired. It's like, it must be 80, 90% just, just working and, and being like exhausted in a way. So it's, it, but it, it, it delivers a lot within the kind of final product. If that makes any sense, I don't know if that was yeah really convoluted, yeah no 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 I, I I I get what you're saying because I'm not trying to force something special to happen. I'm just ideally stumbling across upon upon something. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> um, stumbling yeah. upon something naturally, um, you know, because electronic music's already uh, what's the word overwrought as it is. It's very difficult to make electronic music that doesn't sound overwrought. So it's already quite an overwrought. Um, way of composing majority wise so that, that's why I just smash out lots of material because that way at least there's a lightness to the ideas that exist 
and populate the competitions. There's such a madness. Sorry if I'm going on about it, but <laughs> obviously I'm obsessive great. about it because I've been going, I've been doing it for like the last 10 years on a daily basis. And uh, yeah, I think that's like how your sound, like Jack and I were talking about it the other day and Jack came up with this idea of like the balance of like human versus electronic yeah, well, that's a, that's yeah. a that's a problem in a way, though, because there's a paradox there that obviously, yeah, to make something more human is interesting because what is it to be more human? There's like more error, there's more uh, nuanced, like unexpected ir- irregularity. But the problem with it is the 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 sole reason that people started making electronic music was to go beyond like traditional instruments and to go beyond what a pair of hands can do and it gave way to this whole universe of new possibilities so there is a kind of idiotic aspect to then to go into this new universe and then say no no actually now but bring it back so it's like a pair of hands on a piano again (laughs) and and i i I do this by the way i do this but i'm aware that there is this contradiction because it you know the beauty of electronic music is that it looked forward you know look at like 1940s 50s electronic since all the inventors of stuff that created stuff that we know now they were really looking to the future in a way that we can't even comprehend and it's just a bit weird that well it's not weird it makes sense that it would come back but it's just it's not good enough just to want to make something human it there's a redundancy there i think so I, whenever i do it i try to just i want it to be legitimate for the composition and not just like listen to this very humanized electronic sound because everyone's doing it for the last five years and it's very it's it's like anything that comes on that's stylistically um useful it becomes abuse not abused but it becomes used a lot and it ties itself out and i'm a little bit part of that but i don't allow myself to fully um do that too much if I don't know if that, any of that makes any sense. I remember a, a tweet of yours or something, or a tweet or a post of some sort that w- that just ended. It was like a very a, a piece that you would put up, and at the end you just said, "Just remember, left hand, right hand, people." Huh? Just you you said it. You said just remember <laughs> when you're when you're making music, just remember left hand, right hand, as in on a piano. Oh just, my god! Just... I can't remember saying that. Wow, when yeah. was that? Was that 1995? <laughs> <laughs> this was this was this is in that run of amazing releases you just listed before. Fuck, like, I'm sorry, so it's just, yeah. This is new sound, Ryan. But no, I think it's essentially a, a nice summary of what you're saying now. That, I just yeah. All I'm saying is, I just think if there's there are good ideas, there are good ideas, and there can be good ideas that are executed badly. But I'm still interested in the ideas. I'm more interested in the ideas than anything. Actually, I don't give a shit almost about. The production sometimes i just why i want there to be good exciting ideas and ideas are hard yeah um most of the shit that i make is not you know it's just nothing it's just you know it's just, it, it takes so much to, to to make something and you go wow that's that's interesting it's yeah. so hard to do mm. that that's <laughs> what everyone's everyone striving for right? oh, oh shit my cat just jumped by oh no um yeah he just went mad sorry about that um. <laughs> but so uh, well speaking of good ideas uh what's what's next what are you working on now what are we looking forward to um well i've been writing an album for a while but there's no rush because i'm just trying to find things that are just you know super mm. interesting and exciting and it's naturally inspired rather than forcing anything so 
I have basically half a record that I'm happy with, but you know, it's just we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm quite a bit, as I said earlier in the conversation, I've over the last few years I've been writing so much stuff. I'm kind of exhausted a little bit by music making mm. in general. Mm. I've been just making so much um, that yeah, I'm a bit. It's not that I've run out of ideas. Like it's more my s- judgment is just a bit like exhausted or something. Um, I actually I actually believe that you, there's not enough time to explore all the ideas but with that comes problems obviously it's like it's better to be less is more and that was ryan west ryan l west aka rival consoles sure it's not rival l consoles rival Jack, you're a fun guy. Um, <laughs> so since we record, we recorded the the opening to this podcast. Kieran said that Ryan had released uh, a handful of EPs, but Steve's taken exception with this to the point where it turned into an actual argument. <laughs> we went it down a semantic rabbit hole. I know what you were thinking. To me, a handful is a small amount. No. Well, Kieran's got small hands, so you were thinking, from Kieran's perspective, he's only released a few releases. <laughs> I mean, what, a handful of peas. That's like a that is a, still That's like a lot of peas, though. <clears throat> LPs, though. How big well, are LPs relative to yeah. peas? Ah. it's a small amount. It's a large amount, but it's a it's a it's a portion. Here isn't you go. It? How many seven-inch or ten-inch EPs could you pick up with a hand? I reckon you could pick up all of his EPs with one hand. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But my main point is he makes a lot of music. He makes a lot of oh, music. No, he makes a lot. I'm not, yeah, no one's doubting that he makes a lot of music, mate. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, can you sense there's still a tone of... Uh, there's, still, there's still a tone. Style, I just don't understand why the facts are being questioned. Look, I don't, this, this, I don't know what right you've got to question a robot. <laughs> this, is Ke- this is Kieran's... This is- one feature in the show because he's still refusing to listen to the Beatles. By the way, <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that next week. I get to do one thing, and you're just poo pooing it. Not happy, right? Well, this week, Kieran, I need you to promise me that you're going to listen to that Beatles playlist three times. I let you off last week, and I'm letting you off this week because we were busy. Then I we needed you to be listening to me making mistakes on the bass. <laughs> you know what? On the subject of playlists actually i noticed that uh ryan had gone full mid-90s trent reznor with his hair and it made me think <laughs> that nine inch nails would be a good playlist option kieran for you to give to me because I, I know some of the classics mate but i feel like i need some education on but will you nails. listen to it i promise you, you i will listen to, listen I, will listen to, to it. it I will listen to the whole thing man look i need you to take this seriously mate I need you, Jack. That sounds like a lovely thing, and that's a lovely second part to this feature. Yeah. But Kieran needs to earn it. You've got to eat your vegetables before dessert, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's you true. need to be listening to the Beatles and coming back to us next week. Yeah. You I know s- you've you've listened to the playlist once. I need you to absorb the playlist. Okay. I'll, uh, you've still got I'll, two I'll, handfuls I'll, of peas on your plate. That you have to eat. I absolutely promise I will listen to the playlist more than once. Uh, if Jack promises to listen to my playlist, I will make the effort yes. to absorb new music yeah <laughs> the created <laughs> brand spanking new 60 people. years ago um, I tell you what we need to, to maybe cement how serious we're taking this feature mm. 
is a name for this feature that we can we can, we can say out loud. let's just call it let's yeah. just call it mixtapes yeah i i want no i want to call it here i made you a mixtape because you're wrong and that's that's the title <laughs> of the, that's the new feature this Quite is aggressive complete opposite to your song title uh ideas philosophy yeah your song title philosophy pithy is as short as possible yeah but with podcast features it's the opposite yeah because um i'm, I'm allowed to I can, you can give it tone with the with a podcast feature but with a song title it's just who cares if you got if especially with us like if it's we don't have lyrics in our songs so anything that's suggested for a song title i, I just hate just make it as if oh, if song titles could just be a sound i'd love it. <laughs> yeah that's a good idea it just, reminds me honestly of... uh, every instrumental bit like as we said it in our interview with with stuart uh, from Mogwai they've nailed this, the funny song title market for instrumental indie groups the, uh, we, so we can't do the jokey stuff because we'll always be compared to them Yeah. So, but I also don't want to join the bloody oh, the, the, leave, the, the leaves of Montreal <laughs> I don't know I don't know uh, <laughs> great song it's hard to, if I'm saying leaf if I'm saying rain I'm probably mentioning five bands I just don't, that's what I don't want to do. So I'm happy to just yeah. call our, all our songs Blair. Right, so what is it again? <laughs> what is it again? Because it can't be like your catchphrase, inverted no, commas, catchphrase, called, which is different all the time. No, it's called... Right, no, because I'll get... Right, it's called, I made you a mixtape because you're wrong. <laughs> no, sorry, right, no. Okay. Here, here, comma, I made you a mixtape <laughs> because you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> here... Exclamation mark or comma? No, here, as in here, I'm giving it to you. Not here, as in. Oh. Eh, Sam! <laughs> Not that. <laughs> but anyway, so listeners, sorry, we said at the start of the show we'd talk a bit about recording the album. Um, I enjoy it, I really enjoy it. It felt very normal actually being back in the studio, which is the weirdest thing about it. I think because it was just such a relaxed atmosphere at uh, Nice Weather for Airstrikes Studios. Yes. Uh, obviously Sussex. we're good friends with nice the, uh, the owner there and it's a lovely place fantastic place to record and rehearse I don't know him I don't associate with him took it yeah, too you've far you've taken it far too far I took yeah, it all I'm back. cutting that out in fact guys are last. but it was a it was weird because the last time we recorded an album together was six years ago I can't and, uh, six years ago <laughs> it just felt nice that uh, just being in a room together and being able to get along with each other unlike we do on, <laughs> on the podcast steve mm, uh, mm, mm. yeah well this 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 podcast this this conversation tonight is the result of us having spent time together <laughs> true. in one room yeah i'm f- i'm furious that i have to speak to you guys yeah i mean myself I and wrap this up. myself and joe we obviously recorded everything we need to record in you know a few days and then we what? did it Really quickly, actually. We don't muck around. Especially, right? I was, I was, I was. I mean, as I as I said to you guys at the time when, when and when John, or one of the Johns was uh, uh, the engineers on the record, were asking me, uh, you know, are you okay? Are you sure? I just, I can't stress this enough. Bass is easy. Anyone can play bass. It's really not <laughs> going to take anyone long to do this stuff. Because like Jack, That's Jack, like Jack stuff is quite complicated. You know, drums. You know, you could, if you hit. A rim accidentally, you got to take the whole take again. A bass, it's just, I swear, it's just four strings. Don't worry about it. We'll get through yeah, it's, it a few it's hours. like 
Not at the point of writing, obviously. It's the the point of playing. I I, I take your point, especially with with our style. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm probably I'm probably just being a bit self-deprecating but also it, it, I do find it incredibly easy <laughs> <laughs> so it's a kind of mixture of arrogance and self-deprecation well, I mean it's only arrogant if, the, if you think the music's good I for one am indifferent <laughs> <laughs> sorry I laughed at my own joke too much there I think that I think the album is very good but I also think because I think what it is really is like from from a bass perspective, what I like to do is just I just add a little flavour to songs, if it needs it. But whereas when I look at what you guys do, I just like you know Kieran with like you know making these like sonic masterpieces, Steve with your you know you were named after Steve Vai, and Jack <laughs> with uh, <laughs> Steve peeling with his Dragon Force vibes. And, um, <laughs> Good Lord. And Jack and Jack are just drumming. Just I, this look alien to me. So it, it it feels in comparison to what you guys do, uh, just you know, like I'm an imposter. Well, I'm sure over time doing this podcast, we'll we'll have a sort of more robust look back at the the process of recording yeah. it, but like when we're not such broken husks of men. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's very true. I tell you what, before before we wrap this up, one thing I am very proud of us for is uh, uh, there were some vegetables and fruit consumed over the course of recording, which uh, oh yeah hasn't hasn't always been hey, the case. Nice nice weather for airstrike said it was the tidiest the studio had ever really? been left after that's a recording amazing. session. That's oh, amazing. And that is something you can put on the back of the album. <laughs> That's coming on the poster. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, next week, guys, we have got. Uh, actually, Kieran, you know him the best. Why don't you tear it up? Yeah, so next week we have uh, the incredible Ollie Howell, uh, jazz Brilliant. drummer. Uh, he has got some interesting stories and the people he's met uh, yes. in his in his lifetime I'll say it now I mean it doesn't matter because it's going it's going to be on all of the publicity for the episode but he is described as Quincy Jones's protege and when I say Quincy Jones I mean that Quincy Jones <laughs> so he has got some stories if there were uh, if there were any musicians that you could just call up for advice who would it be are there any if wait no but no you're giving me too much license here because if I've if I can have any musician's phone number, I'm calling Paul McCartney. Not necessarily for advice, <laughs> just to cry. For, ba- for bass tips. <laughs> well, we Style wouldn't get to that. We, I'd, no, I'd be ugly crying and vomiting. <laughs> when you queued up Kieran for for the information there, yeah. I was really bracing for the robot to come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that can come next week. But yeah, Ollie, it was a lovely chat with Ollie. Um, He's a very nice guy. It was the first time I'd met him. Why do uh, we seem to only talk to lovely? Are we not lovely people? That's not. That's not a hole I wish to go down right now with you, Kieran. Mate, <laughs> just in comparison with talking to each other all the time. Mm. 
when some when that fresh blood comes point. in the mix. Talking with anyone apart from Steve, it's always like a really lovely experience. Refreshing. <laughs> Way to use my own point against me in a hurt. <laughs> I just like to let. I bet you think you're really clever. I just like to let you know that my feelings were hurt. Then, so. Uh, yeah, we do. We do have fun. Um, well, let's see how much you hurt our feelings by getting our uh, contact details incorrect. Get in contact with us at info at codesintheclouds.net. Do all the social media stuff. Codes in the Clouds on Facebook. We're still there. We're still hanging in. (laughs) We're sticking with it. Uh, Or Codes Clouds on Instagram and Twitter. Yes. Wow. Very nice. Well done. Also, if you feel like it, you can look at the Paper Crane stuff on YouTube. We gem- we tend to link to it. Uh, but you can also find those exact same videos on our Twitter and Instagram pages. Massive thank you to Ryan. It was great chatting to him again. We'll definitely get him back on. For sure. Um, I hope so. He's he's a super busy guy, but I I reckon there's so much more we could have spoken oh, yeah, to absolutely. him about. And it'd be, it'd be fun to have a less interviewee chat about music and stuff with him. Maybe that can be like a bonus episode. Um, now we know a bit more about what we're doing we're halfway through the series guys so uh, if you've listened to every episode thanks for sticking with us there's five more in this run but we're going to we're going to keep putting things out until the second run of episodes we've got some very exciting guests coming up some maybes that make me very excited but also ones that we've already recorded that also make me excited including Ollie Howell which will be out next week Uh, so I guess to take us out here we go it's it's got to be what's he it's gonna be have you forgotten it Joe uh, no he's got to make up a new one right now it's gonna be um cranes (laughs) I'll see you later (laughs) (laughs) 